Technicians of Space Shipper, we are encountering another break in the podcast timeline. We appear to have slid 12,775 days into the future. While we work out how to make our time engine go backwards, please enjoy the following broadcast. Technicians of Spaceship Earth. Yes, this is an emergency broadcast by the Hawk Binge podcast. And that is because on Saturday night at Indigo, at the O2, at the Prognosis Festival, Matt saw Hawkwind live for the first time since we started to record the Hawk Binge podcast. So if you are going to see Hawkwind on this tour, there are gigantic spoilers ahead in terms of the set list. So you might want to look away now and then come back after you've seen whichever show that you're going to. Otherwise, stay tuned. Matt saw Hawkwind twice with me back in the day when we were both in London and dragging each other to gigs by each other's favorite bands. But Matt didn't really know who they were, hadn't heard anything by them and just kind of had a solid good time. And then that was the end of it. This time, of course, Matt has come along having recorded 20 years worth of Hawk Binge episodes. We are up to the Xenon Codex, which gives us the bulk of the set list, plus tracks that nobody has heard yet. So there's only one spoiler for Matt's future. Matt, you flew over from Berlin specially for this. Was it worth it? How was the gig? I think I can make everyone happy by saying not Ryanair, not horrible beer from the O2 could dull my enjoyment of the gig. My flight over was delayed by two and a half hours. So I pretty much barreled in just in time for the uh, penultimate act before Hawkwind took the stage. And um, I think I got a, uh, a pint of Corona and it tasted like someone had just dipped a steel ruler in some fizzy water. It was kind of gross. <laughs> and, however, the show was a good time and uh, it was really good to have done the podcast and then gone to this gig because we'd seen the machine stops. Therefore, that was brand new and interesting for everyone there. And then we'd seen the anniversary tour, which was a classic album which obviously then had a lot of deference from everyone there. And I was interested in that purely as a slice of time reenacted. But this was very much like Hawkwind did a kind of shut up and play the hits kind of set, you know? And so had I just gone without any knowledge, I think I would have enjoyed it. But this was special because there was so much stuff that I knew And to hear it live, played by the band as it is right now, to hear it at volume with the audiovisual thing that they still brought, for me, it felt like probably for the first time, I'd felt a little bit corrupted by the, you've seen them live, you like them now kind of thing, which I've almost tried to (laughs) avoid a little bit to be as objective as possible from my responsibilities as part of Hawk Binge. But no, it was was a really good time. I had a lot of fun. I think everyone there seemed to have a, a really good time. It was not the new album promotional roadshow that I thought. I think I recognized 90, 85% of all the tracks. Yeah, that would be about right. And I mean, a lot of the tracks they chose have been tracks that you've chosen for the Sessions playlist or even the Master playlist. So they kind of reeled those off. And the set list was a joy for me. There were tracks in here that I haven't heard them play live for a long time and which are among my favorites. They started with Levitation, which you really liked, obviously, from the album of the same name, which was a good start. And they played You'd Better Believe It. But then they dropped a massive one for me, which is the Psychedelic Warlords Disappear in Smoke, my first ever Hawkwind track and one of my absolute favorites, in which they segued You Know You're Only Dreaming. 
Exactly. I was going to say that they did a clever little thing where they dropped extra tracks within tracks, almost as the B section to the tracks. And when you're a band which has so many cool hits that you can double drop, to use a, a dance music DJ term, where you kind of hide another track in a track and, and surprise people, the fact that they did that double drop live was very cool. I was surprised by that, but in a very gratifying way. And I remember when we did In Search for Space, You Know You're Only Dreaming was the track that you really, really conned onto. I think Psychedelic Warlords is also a cool track, but uh, to drop it with You're Only Dreaming had a really nice counterpoint to it. And I think a lot of the tracks they did had that nice push and pull between each other. Considering that they kind of stumbled on, I thought there was a bit at the beginning with Levitation that felt like Dave was looking at a lot of notes on stage with a big piece of paper. And I thought, oh no, is this going to be some kind of, we don't know what we're doing kind of thing anymore? You know, are they past it? But uh, after that, you could tell that a lot of planning had actually gone into it because there was uh, just enough banter between them to set up the next track and they all hit on time. They were all um, very tight. So it did feel like, um, despite the fact it was less of a space ritual style like performance, which it didn't need to be, it was very much like a festival set. It still had this journey that they took you on full of great classics. Absolutely. And Dave looked and sounded really strong. I thought he was actually moving all over the stage, which I haven't seen for a while. So the, uh, Doug, the bass player, and Magnus, who was playing guitar all through, were standing to the left of the stage. And Dave would routinely wander over and stand in the middle of them playing guitar and then wander back. And they all did look as if they were having a really, really good time, uh, which was good to see. And I thought Doug and Tim, the new boys, they do add a lot to this sound, don't they? It was always fun when you see someone play more than one synth at once. Yeah. He had a, a synth in front of him and behind him was doing that big arms in order to play both, which is always kind of fun. <laughs> and he had, at some point when he was playing, um, he kind of had a, a bit of a solo. I can't remember which track it was through, but uh, they actually spotlit him and his kind of head broke through the spotlight and created this very strange effect. That kind of thing made it feel like it was very nicely done. In fact, the, the light show in general, they had lasers and smoke and big backdrops that looked like the Metropolis robot lady and, and stuff. I don't know who else played there, but uh, the penultimate act didn't have any of that. So it did feel like they'd come in with their own kit. Yeah, Voivod, who were on before, had nothing either. We then went to Arrival in Utopia, which was as big and heavy and really welcome. I was grinning from ear to ear when they played that. And again, that was one of your master playlist picks, I think. Arrival in Utopia, I really felt like they made it their own. And that was really, really nice. Yep. That for me started to make it feel like they're doing what they're doing. They take their tracks and they recombine them. But for some reason, Utopia worked a lot more for me. It didn't feel like we'd lost anything. In fact, if anything, it felt like they'd added more to it. Absolutely. Uh, then we got treated to a couple of new tracks. One of them, which has been out for a little while, released in advance, Rama, The Prophecy, and then a new one, which I hadn't heard, The Beginning, which sounded pretty ace, kind of split into two parts. That was very cool with some interesting sampling going on. We are doing a reaction episode on Friday with a guest when the album comes out. Our guest was not at the show, so we will absolutely not refer back to the show on Friday. That will be all about the new record. But I quite like these tracks. They were fun. Yeah, I think we'd heard Rama a few times just online. Mm. I think it sounded better live. Maybe that's just a volume or something. I, I think um, we'll see how the rest of the album sounds, obviously. But I was worried a little bit with Rama. It sounded a little 
garage band maybe but i thought when it was live it sounded great so maybe that's the sound that they're going to be going for with the album only time will tell but the beginning was interesting it sounded a bit like hawkwind story time again <laughs> so um you know that piqued my interest and it was a good mid-set chill out and um have something for your brain to snack on before you get back into the fist bumping absolutely and that was a good 15 minutes or so of new songs only the two but uh, both fairly lengthy Back on familiar territory, we got a spirited version of Spirit of the Age. Yeah, that was good. It felt like Hawkwind knowing their audience. The one thing I was wondering all the way through it with a slight wince was, you know, what are they going to do with that line? And I actually liked the fact that uh, when we got to Still Under Age, Dave actually put his hand almost like to his knee and made an almost like, you're too young to ride this roller coaster gesture rather than, you know, as we've said, the, uh, yeah. the possible 70s sexualization issue. He actually changed it to much more like, no, you clearly can't come into this club. That's quite funny. I didn't pick up on that at all. When that happened, that actually made me just feel much more relaxed <laughs> huh? and, and happy in an almost like meta point. They haven't had to edit it. They haven't had to sanitize it. They've actually made it work. So uh, that actually made me feel happy. That was a key moment for me, which um, was nice to resolve, I guess, from, from my listening context. Fair. And we reached the moment of truth, the moment that we've all been waiting for. Did Assault and Battery redeem itself live is the question on everybody's lips. I will let you into a little secret, Andy. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember this track being played. You said you liked it at the time, so we're going to take that as a win. Okay. We'll say that. I think it wasn't as dirgy, was it? Even with the new synth guy, I felt like they played it more like the um, Black Swordy live kind of version, more 80s-y version than the, the classic classic. Yeah. Again, either that or maybe just the sound really made it work in a live environment. Yep. Absolutely. And then Golden Void, which again, big favourite. That was, again, wasn't expecting the back-to-back -back because I know that happens in the album, but you and plenty of other people have said that they split those tracks up a lot of the time. So um, to get the Golden Void, again, I felt like it wasn't so much that they played Assault and Battery and Golden Void like they were two tracks. I felt they did another double drop like they did with You're Only Dreaming and Psychedelic Warlords. Because mm -hmm. actually, I didn't even realise it was Golden Void for a second until they started doing On the Edge of Time, Poundy Poundy bit. So then I was like, oh God, it's the Golden Void. That's awesome. And then they went back into Assault and Battery for a second. So that was the second time they did a little dip. So I like the sandwich that they did there again. I think it, it worked. Very much so. Then we got the one track from the 90s, Right to Decide, which was uh, good fun, a bit rocky. Something for you to look forward to, Matt. Yeah, again... I think there was something about this part of the set. Maybe I was just much more into it and, and stopped trying to make notes. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. And just actually just got swept away in it. But actually, I don't remember much about this apart from I had fun. No, fair play. It's a fun track with a bit of a political edge to it, which we will get to in due course. And we rounded out the night with Brainstorm, which made me happy that they rounded out with Brainstorm rather than Silver Machine. I thought it was a bit of a killer version of Brainstorm. Yeah, it was nice. It was a high energy. If you think about all these tracks, they are all pretty high energy. And um, it was a festival thing. They got to 11 o'clock. We knew that was curfew. We knew they weren't doing a encore. So to end on Brainstorm, I thought was a, a nice way of just proving they still got it. Lots and lots of energy. By that point, I think all the crowd was engaged. 
Um, it was uh, less punky, I guess, like the original one, but still lots of big thumping energy that brought all five of them together. And I thought by this point, I was like, the drummer looks older than Brock and he's doing a hell of a job keeping all this together. Yeah, Richard Chadwick was very strong. Yeah, you were surprised when I told you our next studio album at the start of the 90s is his first album with the band. Not much of a spoiler alert because I'd have told you that in about two weeks' time anyway. So yes, he's been there for a long time at this point. All of them individually added so much and yet it was so much of also a group effort. It was really tight as a band. Yeah, there wasn't too much front manning by Brock, although clearly, you know, there were lots of eyes on him. The fact they even did their own sound check, I thought was very humble of them, you know, to just come in and say hi and then <laughs> yeah. wander off and wander back on again. <laughs> it was nice. And I did feel like... I'm trying to figure out how to say this, but um, sometimes bands look like they're having fun, quote unquote, on stage, you know, like like running about and you're not sure how seriously they're taking yep. it. They looked like they were performers. You know, there was a few times when they go and like wander off and say hello to each other. But most of the time they were all in their place. They were all keeping time. They're all like, let's get these tunes done, yep. you know, in a, not in a bad way, but just in a, you know, like we're going to rock this kind of way. But it felt professional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not quite sure again if that's the right word. Yeah, no, I mean, given that I think... I think this is the first one of the two. I don't think they played anywhere else, but clearly this was no tour warm up. They were on it and sounded great. As you say, Indigo, fantastic sound and uh, really brought the best, I think, out of each of them. And I would have to say for me, I was really happy that this was one you came over for because this was the strongest that I think I've seen them for quite a long time. And the set list was my favorite for a very long time particularly with Psychedelic Warlords, Arrival in Utopia, and uh, You Know You're Only Dreaming, things like this were a real treat. So yeah, if you'd have not made it or your plane had been delayed and I'd have stood there and watched that, I would have been slightly gutted not to have had you there to witness it. So I'm glad that you saw them on such good form and came away having enjoyed it. It would have been a long flight home if you hadn't. It would have been, but I think um, it was nice for sure because, you know, how, how I try and listen to this with the more casual listening, the detailed listening, the vibe listening, mm -hmm. it was nice that this set was able to cater for both the detailed listening and the vibe. There was plenty of vibe. Obviously, when it's live, it's different. And um, I don't know if this uh, helps to mollify any of the people that get annoyed with me for not liking <laughs> live albums, but I can definitely say that Hawkwind are good live if you are there to see them live. Yep. I still, I'm still not a massive fan of the live album as a format. However, they are still very good live. And it was nice to hear tracks which I'd enjoyed in a more detailed listening experience put into that context because, you know, it's just another way of experiencing it. Absolutely. I mean, neither of us are huge listeners to live albums, but we both go to a humongous number of gigs. So live live is very much our thing recorded live slightly less so so yeah that works so there you go you've heard it from matt himself matt's first hawkwind gig as someone who actually knows and has listened to and understands hawkwind as much as anyone understands hawkwind and i think we are calling that a pretty big win if you're listening to this and you have yet to see them on this tour then you're in for a bit of a treat i think and uh, let us know what you thought and if you're umming and ahhing about going and seeing them, I would recommend that you do. There you go. Can't get a better ringing endorsement than that. So that's it. Really just a short bit of uh, dispatches from us, from the gig. 
And in the meantime, we have our reaction episode to the new album that will follow not long after this one uh, with our guest. Then we have our 80s wrap-up to completely end season two before we hit the 90s. And we have another guest for that. And then the voyage will continue into the 1990s. So uh, until Friday, we will call it a day. Cheers, Matt. Thanks, Andy. <laughs>